0: hello
1: yes
2: okay you can hear me now
1: yes i can loud okay. and clear.
2: okay got it is the audio fine yes okay i'm not sure what
1: happened yeah sometimes this app wants to be a little wonky
2: ah uh, okay yeah. got it and um okay and you said the audio is fine right on my side yes yes That's...
1: yeah okay, i great. hear you just fine
2: I just want to make sure I'm not giving you bad audio quality.
1: <laughs> oh no, trust me. I've I've done several recordings and the audio quality was great.
2: Okay, great. Well,
1: thank you for coming on Chanel's Language Learning Journey podcast where amazing things happen. Oh. Even technology, glitches.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: which which does happen. Yeah. I mean I was seeing, I was interviewing Ollie Richards on the fifteenth of October and somebody called in the middle of the interview. Oh really? And I was just like, oh no. <laughs>
2: oh yeah, what um what happens if someone I mean, I don't really get many calls, but what uh,
1: happens? I, I I actually put this on Do Not Disturb and uh. I'm actually about to log out of Facebook on my phone because People like to call at random points, and for no reason other than, do I want to talk to you, and oh, okay. I don't I'm like,
2: uh-uh. Okay, well, I just put my phone on Do Not Disturb as well. Although I think that, um, if I, let's see, doesn't Do Not Disturb only work if the phone is locked,
1: or will it? Um, I'm actually doing myself a favor, and I'm logging out of Facebook. And and, mo- and most of my friends and family know that I was going to be interviewing you today. So they know not to call me. <laughs> okay.
2: Got it. Well, I hope, like I said, I get almost no phone calls, but hopefully. <laughs> I, don't,
1: I, hopefully. I just turned my phone off because I have an iPad Pro with the LTE oh. and the Wi-Fi.
2: I see. Yeah. Well, I'm talking to you on my phone now. So I don't. <laughs> oh. Um, anyway, hopefully it'll be fine. Oh, just... It
1: will. Um, I've been up and running. For since, I would say, May 2nd of this year, um, yeah. I really wanted to create a podcast because I wanted to give a different spin on uh, language learning from mm-hmm. a visually impaired perspective because I'm, I'm low vision. Mm-hmm. So, because I don't read large print anymore, I'm mostly audio and braille, but 90% mm-hmm. of it's audio. Um, I wanted to give a different spin to language learning, and I wanted to interview people that weren't being interviewed, or you know that I admired pretty much, and I have to say I have been following your YouTube videos. Um, I've never like encountered somebody before where they've done as much as you've done in such a short amount of time. Write a book, Uh-oh. write a book, and then create a website. Teach yourself how to create one. Teach yourself code. It, Learn eight languages in so many years traveled the world as a filmmaker. I mean, like I had to count at you like on chris Brohom's actual fluency podcast and
0: oh really yes
1: yeah. mhm mm, and so I said, from one filmmaker to another because I studied film and theater in college, I got my degrees in both
0: oh, oh wow cool yeah
1: and and then I got my t e f l last year um, in uh Teaching business English and English for young learners oh, so, so as a result, I'm like, I want to know more about Robin McPherson how uh, could you because my listeners, my 1.5 k listeners um you know they range all the way from Korea to Africa to Eastern Europe and so forth mm-hmm. and and uh, they don't know you, so I was just wondering, could you tell?
0: about your story how
2: you yeah sure Um, is there any particular angle you'd like me to focus on uh, regarding like when telling my story or do you want just a very general um
1: any way you want to do it
0: okay
2: um so i grew up in the united kingdom um and i moved to the united states when i was 16 for the first time um And since then I've, well, since 2013, which was um, my fourth year of college in the US, I lived in nine countries since that time. And then, um, but during my childhood, um, certainly part of my story that's very relevant for language learning is that um, I I struggled deeply with school and also with uh, specifically learning languages. Um, and so growing up, I was more of an athlete. Uh, I came to the U.S. to play basketball originally. Uh, I was definitely not intellectually inclined or academically inclined. Um, and then basically when I started college in the U.S., um, it was around the age of 18 or 19. Um, that was really the first time that I decided to direct my work ethic that i had always used to become skilled in sports um, towards something intellectual, Mm -hmm. uh, which was of Japanese. So I had started learning Spanish when I was 16. That was the very first language I tried to teach myself um, and realized I could do it. Um, I did manage to speak Spanish to a degree. I certainly wouldn't say I was fluent, but I could make sentences and I could communicate. And that was really a huge revelation. But I still never really saw myself as someone that was, um, like I said, intellectual or uh, good in school. And so it was really with Japanese when I was in college that I I decided, well, with sports, I always just work really, really, really hard. um, Mm -hmm. And that makes me good at them. (laughs) So I thought, uh, I still thought I was terrible at languages, but I thought, well, even if I'm really bad at languages, surely if I just work really, really hard, um, then I'll I'll learn faster than if I don't. Like, it was a very simple equation to me. It was mm-hmm. just, and it, I talk about this a lot nowadays in my work. I talk about the impact of talent um, and my views on how much you should focus on that. I personally believe that, regardless of people's opinions on talent, like some people believe talent is extremely real and extremely important. And some people believe that um, that it's less important, but regardless of what people think, uh, it's not something we can change, right? And so at the time I believed I was not talented. I believed I was not good at languages. But the equation was very basic. It was, well, more work equals more results. And so I just worked really, really, really hard with Japanese. Um, And then something pretty amazing happened. and I'll I'll try to keep the story short since we still have a whole podcast to do. Um, But the short version is that after that point, over the course of the years, I continued working hard with languages. And then when I became, I would say, very, very fluent in Japanese and worked as a Japanese interpreter and went to to university in japan and worked as a barista Uh, that was the first time i decided maybe i can learn another language so i started with french and that's where the polyglot journey began um and that led me to where i am today so again skipping forward i've now lived in a lot of countries i started um a language education sort of services company a few years ago and that that brought me to san francisco where i live now where i work as a software engineer and continue my language learning endeavors
1: that's awesome
2: sorry that was a pretty poor summary <laughs> of the story uh, but... <laughs>
1: I wouldn't say that I mean I was watching one of your videos yesterday and I was like well I don't feel bad <laughs> because when you were talking about your Dutch not being great and I was like well I don't feel bad now
2: <laughs> yeah yeah my, <laughs> my my Dutch is awful so I mean I don't I, feel... I
1: feel like I could speak broken Dutch
2: uh huh. No. <laughs> I'm not even sure I can speak broken Dutch right now. So Dutch is—it's a language that I spoke. Um, I spoke pretty, like, pretty well actually at one point, but I learned it extremely quickly. Um, and then after leaving the Netherlands, I pretty much never spoke Dutch again. Um, but I also learned German. I learned Swedish, um, and many other things after that. And so Dutch became pretty much like i would say both inactive but also buried underneath related languages <laughs> so if i try yeah. to speak dutch now it kind of just comes out in german and swedish um but it is a language i'd love to get back to right and i'm sure you know that's the thing that i talk about a lot which is that it's you know it, i don't feel bad that my dutch is right. terrible right now i don't feel worried that my right. dutch is terrible because i know i can always go back to dutch um yeah. And it's not like I'll start from zero. Um, right. And so I look forward to one day reviving my Dutch and speaking it better than I ever did. And I think that's something that we should all embrace. You know, um, oh, forgetting,
0: yeah.
2: forgetting things is just a reality of life. And I think it's also um, an integral part of learning languages. We never forgot anything. First of all, it'd be boring. Right. It'd be very boring if we just could remember every word because I remember learning French and learning to read in French and I had never managed to read a book in a foreign language ever. In right. Japanese, I read a lot, but right. I never read a full book in Japanese previously. Um, right. I, read, I read thousands and thousands of lines of subtitles and dramas. I read all kinds of stuff. But I never read a full novel in Japanese and right. um, with French, it was the same it was so difficult. Like I, I remember I could speak French fine. I could have conversations. And it was amazing to me how reading a novel was still so hard. Um, and the journey I went through to eventually be able to read anything in French and, that, and now I can read, I can pick up a novel and just read it, no problem. There are words I don't understand, etc. Right. But but I can read a French book and enjoy it in its entirety. That journey was very long, um, right. and it was a journey of forgetting things and remembering them and forgetting them. And it was a beautiful journey, and the journey would have been very boring if I never forgot anything. So I, right. I try to tell people to embrace this fact of life, right. which is we forget stuff. And I forgot Dutch.
1: You know, it's funny <laughs> because um, I've been visually impaired all my life. Since Mm -hmm. birth, I have what's called retinopathy of prematurity. And I was born 1 pound 13 ounces 41 years ago, Cleveland.
0: Mm, Wow.
1: And so um, I, my mom found out that I was visually impaired because I had crawled straight into the corner of a glass table. Oh no. And now there's still a dent inside of my head because of it.
2: Oh no. You must have been crawling really fast.
1: Right. I was very tiny. Uh, I could fit inside the palm of her hand. That's oh, how wow. tiny I was. And so I had to stay in the incubator for five months. And then I wound up, um, they found out that I was I was visually impaired. And they did two operations, one in eighty, one one in 81. They were able to save the sight in my left eye. Mm-hmm. Which made me able to see the bigger um, objects like chairs and tables and people and buildings. Mm-hmm. And I was able to read large print at the time and write. So I learned print first. And I learned how to read and write. Mm-hmm. And then I learned braille at eight, but I didn't, I was never allowed to use it because I still had a, a nice amount of physical readable vision. Mm-hmm. And here in the States, they have this big thing. If if you have some usable vision of any kind, they want you to use it as much as possible.
2: Is that so that you don't lose that ability to, to read it?
1: Um, well, now I cannot read at all. Um, I, I mean, mm. I could still watch TV, but with the advent of voiceover on the Apple TV, I'm able to have the subtitles read to me in whatever language I want, oh, which is great because before like last year, um, I wasn't able to do that. So oh. it was like, okay, you either need to know the language so you can understand it, or I'm just, you know, screwed because nobody wants to read subtitles mm. all the time. So, for me personally, um, I didn't get into the language game until, well, I was five when I learned American Sign Language. That was my first mm. language aside from English. But then wow. I forgot a lot of it because if you're not around deaf people or hard of hearing people a lot, you're not going to use it, so you're going to forget it. So, I pretty much classify that as a language I learned but forgot. I can still mm-hmm. have a basic conversation, A1, I would say, um, mm-hmm. but I don't use it that often. Um, my first foreign language, Spanish, um, was about uh, the hace años a la uh, Universidad de Comunidad de, that's what I see aquí in uh, Cleveland, Ohio uh uh-huh. yo tome uh several cursora en la clase de el español um para uh seis semestres uh-huh. um yo puedo hablarlo uh, muy bien pero no me gusta ah uh, hablarlo muy mucho uh, oh, porque ¿sí? yo hecho um muy confidencial problemas cuando primero hablando um, uh-huh. a mis um, compadres que han podido hablarlo um, mucho más estarme. Pero ahora mismo me gusta hablar otros idiomas, entonces el ruso idiomas y el francés idiomas y uh, el italiano idiomas, pero en el momento uh-huh. estoy estudiando um, turkish idiomas. Um, un pequeño, um, uh-huh. porque yo quiero trabajar un interpretora de el ruso idiomas y el francés idiomas para el, um, Estados, um, los Estados Unidos, um, um, Unidos, um, Naciones, um, aquí, uh, New York City. United Nations. Mm I enlumbered in este particular idioma.
2: Okay, bien.
1: So, um, yeah, I had confidence problems. I was good with the grammar because I learned everything by ear. I had tutors, Mm -hmm. and I would spend like 14 and a half hours a week with Spanish. Mm -hmm. Mostly tutors because I just had the course book. And then I have the CDs with the workbook and I couldn't read it. Mm-hmm. So I just learned everything by ear. And what I like about mm. Spanish though, I mean, I don't like speaking it that much, but I enjoy the music and the culture of Spanish, mm-hmm. so, you know, Latin American people in general. So I like the food, the dancing, the music, you know, I like that aspect yeah. of it more so than I do actual speaking it all the time because I've gotten a lot of negative a lot oh. of negative And I used to live in California, Southern California, uh, uh, mm-hmm. about 10 years ago. I lived in L.A. for 13 months while I went to film school. And then, because oh, no. it was a 13-month uh, program, and I was the only visually impaired person <laughs> to ever go to this school, ever since. Oh, wow. Hmm. I graduated with honors in directing. Uh, yeah, nice. I wrote and produced. Uh, and directed my own movie, I, I mean of course, I have my cinematographers and editors and sound people and all that but and I did it for like a thousand dollars was it wasn't yeah i that was when I thought
2: that seems very cheap for american education like, oh well
1: no, it was just to pay for the movie
2: oh oh yeah, I see yeah, sorry no
1: okay. the tuition was like sixty four thousand dollars.
2: Okay, that sounds more right, right.
1: accurate. So I mean 30, <laughs> $31,000 was just for living expenses, the other thirty something thousand was actual tuition. So wow. I lived in LA. I lived in Hollywood, off of Hollywood in um Wilcox. Right above mm-hmm. the Hollywood site. <laughs> Which is oh, awesome. Wow. But um, yeah, that's when I thought I was going to be like the greatest thing in film and <laughs>
2: Oh, that's really cool that you did that. I'd love to see your movie um, one day.
1: I might have to send you a copy because my master got stolen uh, five years ago, uh, and oh no, like I can't make any other copies. I I do have a final copy of it, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I I studied film. It
2: was actually I I kind of my you know my the documentary on my mm-hmm. YouTube channel. Um, I my laptop that I produced that on was stolen, oh. um, in 2015. And so I actually, I have nothing. Oh my God. Um, I have all, I have all the original right. footage. Um, but the only copy that exists of that documentary is on YouTube, oh, wow. <laughs> which is just, and it was, I was actually invited to a film festival in Dublin, right. Ireland, a couple of mm-hmm. years ago, um, to present my documentary, but I couldn't, I couldn't do it because I don't have it's the, Yeah, so I understand. Yeah, I mean, I
1: cried uh, cried over that. That in my entire music collection was gone. Yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) But I didn't get into languages, like, really studying them independently until March 2015 when I decided to do Russian. Mm -hmm. And I used Mark Thompson's Russian Made Easy um, 30-day podcast, Mm -hmm. and that got me hooked. And then I just did Michelle Thomas and I tried Kemsler, but it was so slow. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm not going to Russia as a tourist. I want to go and really speak it. I, I my, my yeah. whole theory on, you know, being proficient, a proficient speaker of the language um, is it takes time. You can, that's not something yeah. you can rush. And people think that, oh, you mm-hmm. can get to a C1 in three months. <laughs> what? But what language are you talking yeah. about? Is, <laughs> it, is it really relatable to your native tongue or something that you've already studied previously? Otherwise, um, you're not going to get to C1 uh, in three months. Try a year and a half. Yeah. Try two years. That <laughs> makes more sense. Because um, mm-hmm. you know, so, I did read Benny Lewis's um, Fluent in Three Months. And yeah. I, the only thing I got out of it was Speak, and that was it. Like after, mm-hmm. after that, yeah it's like okay this isn't even realistic to me like i guess because i came <laughs> academic you know and so mm-hmm. i guess my theory on that was well it depends on what the language is i can get to speaking a b2 i mean a, a a2 in like six months if, if i'm doing it you know yeah a couple of days a week for an hour or half an hour so forth and so on depending on yeah, I mean, like with French right now, you know, I'm I'm learning French, and I'm able to understand the newspaper, and read the newspaper in French, and I'm able to actually read Les Miserables in French. And someone asked me, "How the hell can you?" I was like, "Because it's not that difficult." I mean, we know about seven thousand words in French by <laughs> itself, okay, not including yeah. the but um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just like Italian too. It's stuff like that is. once you learn one romantic language, you probably won't have that big of a time learning the other ones. Because the the vocabulary kind of like flows over to each other. I mean, the only one I have a problem with is my Brazilian Portuguese. And I think that's because the Spanish is such a high influencer in my speaking. So it kind of like Mm -hmm. meshes in between the portuguese and Spanish, but i only studied it for like six weeks this year just to see if i like it Mm -hmm. and then i was like "Uh, not so much so i'm actually studying turkish right now oh cool i like Turkish. Turkish. is fun
2: yeah but i think the discussion point is really interesting because i actually um right now on my youtube channel i'm doing a series about um how to learn languages in like 15 minutes a day right. <laughs> um, but the whole point of that and it's I uh, you know I've been speaking about maintaining languages for quite a long time right. now um, and I've really tried to build up sort of a reputation or credibility for talking about that subject because I think it's so important and so I wanted to really do a lot of work around maintaining languages but I'm I'm now getting really interested in this second avenue which is that uh, Which is learning languages slowly. Right. (laughs) Um, In the sense that I I think so much of the content out there and the products and different things, it's all geared towards learn X as fast as humanly possible. Um, And I do understand it. Like I do. Like people who want to learn stuff quickly. But I'm not sure that everyone wants to learn things quickly for a start, I think maybe there are some people out there who don't mind taking their time. But even for those of us who or dying to learn everything as fast as possible. I think it's kind of funny because if you look at other industries um, or other parts of sort of our consumer market Mm -hmm. now, there's this interesting push about doing things slowly. (laughs) You know, like there's this, there are these life lessons that we all know that like taking your time is a good thing. We have phrases like slow and steady wins Mm -hmm. the race or, We have like, and so I kind of almost want to start exploring bringing that mentality Mm -hmm. and those life lessons to to the language learning space. Um, I'm kind of starting to encourage people that it's okay to take your time, right? (laughs) And so that's why I'm doing that series about. I'm right now. I'm studying Mandarin Chinese. um, I'm doing it very slowly, and I'm really, really enjoying it. Are you using Babel? No, so uh, Babel does not offer any courses for Mandarin okay. Chinese. So I'm using a website called ChinesePod uh, currently, um, which I'm really enjoying. Yeah, um, and I'll I'll keep using that one until until I stop enjoying it, <laughs> and then I'll move on. But like I always do, I'm I'm acquiring other resources sort of in the background. I was going to say uh,
1: there's a couple that I would suggest. Um, mm-hmm. You have a library card.
2: Um, I don't, but I'm I'm looking into okay. getting one now that I have a stable life
1: okay. finally. Um, do Mango, Mango languages through the mm-hmm. through the um, library.
0: The library it's free.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. um, and the cool thing is, it has SRS. It has
0: mm-hmm. Mandarin
1: mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of other languages too.
2: Great. No, I'll try. That. I actually used Mango way back um, I used Mango to learn Vietnamese um, and so and Mango was one of the only places I could find Vietnamese at right. the time like back then places like Duolingo I'm not even sure if Duolingo has Vietnamese now or not I don't know um, but definitely back then I found very few places that had any sort of extensive Vietnamese course, except for very basic apps. And so Mango was actually one of right, the few.
1: Right, right.
0: Um, I, I,
2: did, I liked
1: I, it. I'm using it for Turkish, Italian, and French right now. Mainly for French because of the slang aspect. And, and I'm actually able to mm-hmm. really understand more in the context of how they teach is yeah. You know, and I do a little bit every day. So like, it'd be like five mm-hmm. lessons in a chapter or whatever. Or 10 mm-hmm. lessons, you know, like, five sections or six sections and then i'll just do one lesson mm-hmm. a day and Then i'll go back over right. that lesson again that i did the day before before i moved to the next lesson just to make sure i understood what i was you know and it's mm-hmm. it yeah, it's it cool. you know so i mean mm-hmm. that's just like um i had told someone i said you know i enjoy the language learning community because it's, it's such mm-hmm. a welcoming community and you know it people have been embracing me for like the past three years. So,
2: yeah, I've seen, you've been very active on a lot of the sort of like polyglots community page and just commenting on, on different people's own contributions. It's so, it's always, and you've been a wonderful supporter uh, for me and I always, Oh, you're welcome. No problem. um,
1: I, 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 like I told Ollie, I feel like we're all in this together, you know, and mm -hmm. um, because I actually told him, he's like my language mentor. Um, I I love his work so much, um, and he's actually willing to listen to what his the people in his group have to say. He's not egotistic mm-hmm. or self absorbed. And who's this? Sorry, Ollie. Yeah. Oh, Ollie. Mm-hmm. And so, so like mm-hmm. he'll listen to what your suggestions are, and he takes all that into consideration when he's creating his stuff. Because I had mentioned, Mm -hmm. I said, well, if I'm going to buy something from someone, it has to be 100% under disability law accessible, which means their website Mm -hmm. has to be accessible. If I cannot access your website and I Mm -hmm. I can't access the form fields or I can't type in them, you know, even if I interact with them with my Mac or whatever, or I can't click onto a button. You need to know that mm-hmm. because you never know who's going to come on your site, and right. so, you know, like everyone does their stuff in PDF. And I said, well, PDF is great, but PDF isn't great for everybody because if you if I buy a course from you, it's in PDF. Voiceover is not going to see this te- mm-hmm. uh, text; it's going to look at it as a blank document, and that's it. And so mm-hmm. I said, if you can put it in. TXT, HTML, and rich text format along with PDF, you would, you would be doing a lot of people a big favor, especially if they're using screen mm-hmm. readers like JAWS for Windows, NVDA for um, Windows computers, and, and VoiceOver for the Mac. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we, can't, we can't access the information um, if it's in PDF. It's very difficult. I mean, you yeah. have to have specialized software which costs $100 in order to be able to access it. So I always like mm-hmm. to educate people on that because guess what? <laughs> not everyone can read PDF. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an yeah. easy way to put stuff in to, you know, a great way to, to push stuff out, but it's not always 100% accessible. And so yeah. um, I said he said, I'm going to take this under advisement. So when I get, when I do more courses, I'll put that in mind when we're doing that, you know? Cause every, he saves mm-hmm. every email that people send him. You know what? So, um, yeah, I, I, right now I'm like over the moon. I, I got Richard Simcott to come on my show. And so, mm-hmm. so he's coming on in February. And then next week um, I have Susanna Sarisky. And then after Christmas, I have um, the host of um, Russian Pro- Russian uh, Progress. Mm-hmm. So great, yeah, I have a whole bunch of other people. I'm trying to get Moses McCormick. That's mm-hmm. my, and then I, um, but I've interviewed like Chris Pro and I've interviewed yeah. all these other people. So
2: no, it's great. It's a great list of people yeah, for sure. And,
1: i mean because i i learned so much from people like i was like i don't i don't know a daggone thing about language acquisition not in that way and mm-hmm. i said you know why not create my own show you know do my own spin on it because everybody else is doing it <laughs> you know, you know yeah. so why not and and share what <clears throat> i have to you know say about the subject matter and bring people on I mean I know people where they just do interview after interview and for me I decided I'm going to do an interview a week with somebody and then I'll mm-hmm. do a segment because that way they get a little bit of a variety Um mm-hmm. of you know like your episode number 43. Mm-hmm. So, and you're the first interview that I've done since the October twenty sixth. So well, mm. because it was the holidays and you know, people are in out yeah. of the country. So I definitely understood that. Um yeah I was gonna ask so what made you wanna write a book?
2: Um so it all it originally the book started as it was gonna be a mm-hmm. course. Um so um, I was going to make the, because I saw a lot of people starting to use that format. And by the way, everything I say now, it, it's not, I'm not bashing that format at all. Um, so I just want to say that. But I, I thought, well, I'll, I could do that too. And I thought, what a wonderful topic, you know, how to maintain languages. It was something that I felt was always so mysterious to me. I'd Googled it so many times. I'd looked for it. And I, and I, I found such a hard time getting really clear answers and gaining clarity Mm -hmm. on the subject. Um, And so, and I felt like I had finally reached this breaking point where I had smashed through those questions. And I finally felt like I understood how to maintain languages. And I also felt like I had successfully done it. Because, um, you know, one really important part of my story, it's not just learning eight languages, um, whatever it is. It's, I did that in a very short period of time. Um, And so, but, and it was very intense. And so I felt like I, I had a lot to say on the subject um, after succeeding. However, as I went through the process and I, and I was writing the, all the content for that Mm -hmm. course, um, I just started to feel more and more like I wanted this to be a different format. Um, I've always felt passionately about writing. Um, I've actually started writing several books in the past, but more novel, um, novel right. writing. I started writing a novel in Japanese when I was in Japan. I have a, a portion of a novel I wrote in French, but finally it just clicked. And I thought, you know what, I want this to be a book. And a large part of that was actually accessibility, but particularly from a f- sort of financial side. A lot of people make these courses where they're $100 or sometimes even $150. Um, Some of
1: them are 300 And that's very expensive.
2: Yeah, and, and that's very expensive. And I, over the years running my company, Teaching right. Languages, um, I realized that a lot of people that watch my YouTube videos and that respect what I have to say are people who are not in great financial positions. I, gave, I had so many students I taught over the years. I, I always had a rule that I would never, I never wanted someone to not be able to learn right. with me because of money. Right. Um, and I have to say, it, a lot of people said I was crazy. And that I would get screwed by that. And to be totally honest, I did get screwed a lot of times by that. But I always stuck to that principle because I wanted the right. education to be accessible. Right. And so I thought, you know what? A book usually costs $11, $13, maybe 20 bucks if it's a hardback. Um, that's a lot more accessible than a $100 course. Um, and also, a book tends to have far more content in it. Um, like a, a hundred dollar course sometimes consists just of, you know, 10 videos right. um, and maybe so. But then the big tipping point was when I got involved in design. And once I became a designer and I became extremely passionate about the role design has in accessing content, accessing a message mm-hmm. um, and making, making, you know, content readable, digestible, enjoyable. Right. That's when I finally decided, OK, I don't want to just write a book. But I also want to design a book. I want to create a book that people open and they just think, wow, this is beautiful. Um, and a book that really guides people through a story um, that leads them to an end point. And I'm hoping that end point in this case is being able to maintain language. Right. Um, and so that's what all came together. And I spent you know, almost two years on the project and, and seven months of that was just on the design alone. So it's really, it's really my best body of work, uh, not saying it's great, but in terms of, it's, it's really the best work I ever did in my life. Um, and so now I'm excited to, to move forward and, and build on that and make even better books.
1: You know, um, it was funny because you? when you had put up your video, the one about um, you becoming homeless for the second time, literally, I was sitting there watching mm-hmm. it and crying at the same time. And, and oh. because I can identify with that because I was homeless at one point in my 20 years ago. And mm, it actually uh, was... My mom and I um, had gotten to a very low point. And uh, my mom mm-hmm. was um, on drugs real bad. And it was my senior year. And we were in a hotel for like five months. in My senior wow. year and of high school. And I... Didn't tell anybody about it, but they found out about it, and you know what that's like when you find out. So yeah, it, it could become blown so way out of proportion. So, mm-hmm. but at the time, I didn't know that this was the last Thanksgiving or the last Christmas I would have with my mom because she went oh, dying, wow. like six months later. Oh,
2: I'm Thanks. sorry to hear that.
1: Um, it's been 19 years. Next year to be 20. Um, but right. she, um when I heard your story and I was like, wow, did, you, mm-hmm. you still found a way to see the light at the end of the tunnel, despite all the darkness that was around. And mm-hmm. um, I said, wow, I can actually identify mm-hmm. with what he's going through. Cause I, I've been there. And right. um, I said, I, I have to interview him at some point. Then when you came out, you said, I wrote a book. And then when you came out and said, I learned how to teach myself code. And I'm like, I definitely got to interview him. Oh my God. <laughs> like, like, I mean, I, it just blew me away because I mean, I don't know too many people that's going to do that. And I mean, when you're in a very small place where you think things are just like, not going to happen, that's when the light starts mm-hmm. coming in. I mean, slowly, but it does. And mm-hmm. I guess I look at it as like, wow, he really has a lot of faith to keep going because most people would have been like to hell with this.
0: You know. You know? Right.
1: And yeah. I, I just said I I have to interview him because his story is just so mm-hmm. original. I mean it's I mean I've heard other polyglot stories, but yours was just like next to David James, which You've read the book, My Polyglot, right?
2: I actually have not read that book. Um,
0: I guess I should. Um, I read it in <laughs> five
1: and a half hours. I couldn't put it down. But when I got to David James's, um story, it kind of reminded me of a James Bond movie. That's oh, how wow, good yeah. it was. And yeah. I do eventually want to interview him. But uh, yeah, he his story was amazing. Uh, Moses McCormick's story is amazing. Yeah. Um, he mm-hmm. just moved from here to Arizona recently. I was like, oh. "Yeah, <laughs> yeah <'cause laughs> He's from Akron originally, and so, ah, so okay. I, I said, um, I was really like blown away. Like I said, in a year, he did all this stuff. That that mm-hmm. I don't know too many people that can say they wrote their own book. They created their own website they learned coding they went from north carolina all the way to san francisco they're creating their own app to help people they're doing this this before 30 that that's Mm -hmm. i mean that's and i'm 41 so that i mean that just it it just blew my mind I, i just have to say like
2: well, thank you, Chanel. It's very kind of you. I'm happy that the story resonated with you so much. And especially that part of yeah. the story with the video that you mentioned. Because um, that was a hard video. Yeah, to yeah, I, I could tell. <laughs> because... I was like,
1: oh, my God. I mean, I literally like, I wanted to write and be like, you need some help? Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I mean, literally, I just, after I finished, I just bawled. Because it just brought back so many memories, And I just was like, oh, my God. I just, you know, it kind of made me think, you know, unless you have been someone that's had to work very hard for what you have without having Uh a handout like constantly or having family support or, you know, people think that being a polyglot, oh, well, I'm going to be rich or I'm going to have, you know, a million dollar deal. Because Ollie mentions that a lot. He's like, I don't have a million-dollar deal. I got to do this myself with a small team of people. And before that, I was doing it all by myself, you know. And that, I mean, I I tell people all the time, you don't need every textbook. You can go to Mm -hmm. the library. There are a lot of free resources on the internet, you know. It just depends on how you want to learn. Do you need every teacher self, every Aussie Mill, every colloquial? No, mm-hmm. not necessarily. You know, pick, yeah. choose what you enjoy using. I mean, the only <clears> thing <throat> about colloquial is that their audio is free. So you can, you can download mm-hmm. their audio files, which, <laughs> right. which is great. But <clears throat> aside from that, you know, I'm like, really? Um, you need <laughs> to... Not set yourself up for, you know, defeat before you even start. Like I see that a lot. I'm too old to learn a language, or or mm-hmm. I stopped at learning language. I was like, was it how it was being taught, as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, finding your own way of learning it? I mean, you know, and, yeah. and my thing <clears throat> is, you have to make it fun. You have to have a why reason. Why are you learning this? Mm-hmm. You know, if I want to learn Polish, it's because I want to be able to watch Knife in the Water by Roman Polanski or I want to learn Japanese because I want to watch Sailor Moon in Japanese and I want to watch The Ring and The Grudge and The Audition in You know, you mm-hmm. have to have concrete reasons for wanting to learn anything. And mm-hmm. I see a lot of these people where they say, well, I'm fluent as opposed to saying I'm proficient. Because to me mm-hmm. be fluency is the ability to be able to have the words flow from you naturally, mm-hmm. not so much yeah. proficiency is how much of the language do you really know, And mm-hmm. so, in regards to speaking, and a lot of people get that, oh well are you fluent? like when you say you you speak this language, well wait a minute, you mean proficient, right? and then uh-huh. oh i mean, no fluency is how it comes out of you not how much information you actually know I, we i uh-huh. we are english speakers by default and so we don't know every single word in the english language whether you're speaking the queen's english or you're speaking american english it doesn't uh-huh. matter like we don't know every we know more than 25,000 words but we how much of that do we use every day probably about 2,000 lucky mm-hmm. roughly yeah i mean we're not we're not uh, you know talking about philosophy and you know how the quran was created and so forth and so on and you know egyptian arabic t- no <laughs> no we're not mm-hmm. doing that so <laughs> you know you're not going to know every single word and I-, I see that a lot like i told someone i speak x y language and they're like are you fluent and then when you say, "Well, I'm conversationally proficient," then they're like,
0: mm-hmm. "Oh,
1: well, you're not fluent." Well, wait a minute.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and I think that's where people believe. Well, are they really polyglots? Are they a fraud? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> no
0: one's
1: a fraud. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes right. time to learn stuff. It's just it's not going to happen overnight.
2: I agree. It's a very it's all very personal, and like I, the way I think of it is just very, you know, like the better I get at learning right. languages, just like the better I get at writing code, or no matter what it is, the better I get at any one right. thing, typically the simpler it becomes. And I don't just mean it gets easier, I just mean I think about it in a, in a more simplistic right. fashion. Um, and when it comes to writing, like, so for example, learning languages, you know, you talked about do you need every single Teach Yourself book, do you need every single colloquial book, Funny thing is, learning languages, my process has become simpler and simpler and simpler and simpler, and nowadays, I buy fewer resources than I ever did. Like, the resources I buy nowadays um, are things like a novel that I want to read, or maybe a DVD, like a movie I want to watch. The resources I need are fewer and fewer. And when it comes to this idea of um, how well you speak a language or how well you know a language... To me, that's also become more simplistic in a sense that to me, the most important thing is, can you communicate with the language in the way that you would like to do so? So when I say communicate, you know, communication is a two way process. It's bi-directional. So I also consider reading a book as communication. If I'm if I am reading a book in in Spanish, I'm communicating with the author. There's a there's a bi-directional process of communication happening where I am receiving a message that that author authored in right. Spanish. So if my goal is to read books um, and, or, or news or that sort of thing, and I can do that, then I'm using that language f- to communicate in the way that I want, right? And if my goal is to go and, and speak with people in France um, and go to dinner parties and be able to enjoy that experience, that's also communication. So when I think about just for my own self, right. um, I don't care as much anymore about sort of uh, showing off or you know portraying this. Oh, I'm super fluent in X, Y, Z. When I say that, you know, when I list the languages I speak, um, there is of course a, an obli- I, I think a responsibility to uh, for me to not you know uh, mislead people. But what I, what's most important is that. In those languages, um, I can communicate uh, through those languages in the ways that I want um, to, in, in, to a degree that I would consider proficient right. um, in, in each case, right? And I'm always, so that's just my, my spiel on on the, it really doesn't need to be so complicated. And I think many things in life, the better you get at them, the more you realize that there, it doesn't have to be that now, complicated.
1: I, I'm curious, as far as time frame is concerned with, your process of learning all eight languages. I mean, well, okay. Let's take English out the equation. Mm, Okay. (laughs) Um, How long was it per language? I mean.
2: It was, um, so Japanese was about three years that it took me, um, from when I started learning Uh Japanese to when I went to Japan and the day the day I arrived in Japan, I I was an interpreter. So I guess we can say I was fluent in Japanese since that that required, I was doing immigration interpreting, I was doing personal interpreting, I was doing all kinds of stuff. Um, So that was about three years. (laughs) And at the time that was considered extremely fast for a language like Japanese. Um, When you consider a Japanese degree program is four years, um, and most people all come out not speaking Japanese. Um, and so, but the funny thing is that was the longest. Um, bear in mind, Japanese was also probably, it was a very um, difficult language for an English speaker mm-hmm. to learn relative to French. French, um, the process got dramatically faster. I, I think within five or six months, I was actually speaking French um, moderately well. But then, you know, the, in about i think there's a a video there's a video i made in my documentary i'm speaking french after just a a very short time just a few months then there's a video i made about a year later i think no not even that like seven months later uh speaking french about geographic like geological concepts and you know talking about my nature documentaries and and it was speaking very 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 fluidly and expressing complex ideas so french is probably about a, a year to year and a half to becoming i would say highly proficient Um, and then it was about two years before I actually got a job as a French person so I'm not French but I got hired as a French employee uh, to work for Expedia France and so and then it got after that it got faster and faster and faster and faster to the point where with Dutch you know I I found out I was going to go to the Netherlands and then two months later I went there um, and I did job interviews in Dutch that was very very difficult Very intense, and it was a bit unstable.
0: Oh, they're Um, very tricky.
2: Yeah. Um, However, that's what happened. So when I when I arrived in Germany, I moved to Germany um, in I think it was August uh, two thousand fifteen. I had about about ten or eleven languages, maybe even thirteen or fourteen languages that I I'd studied to a degree. I and it was a mess. Right. And so during that time in Germany, um, that's when I decided to drop some of them. I decided I'm not actively studying Swahili anymore. Um, I'm not, you know, um, putting X amount. I I decided, look, those are languages, maybe I'll get back to them one day, but these are my eight core languages, including English or seven core languages. Um, And um, I spent about a year getting all those up to to pretty good levels of proficiency. but by and lot, like German, it took me like three months um, to go from not really knowing any German, but having a, a sort of slight background of Dutch to moving to Germany and doing everything in German. Um, I made a lot of mistakes. I would not have said I was like fluent in German right. necessarily, but I went to Germany and I set up a phone contract. I found an apartment. I went out and did all my daily activities in German. I did everything so, in German. So
1: basically you months. probably were like at a what? B1, B2?
2: Yeah I'd say between a B1 and a B2.
1: So again it's just
2: the point being some languages took me three years like Japanese uh, later it, it got down to the I would say three months with German to get to that sort of B1 B2 level. Um, the process became incredibly fast right. um, but again the thing is with is that I was learning I was also maintaining other languages and bringing them all up right. so it's, I'm not sure if that answers the question because I, don't have, I didn't do them back to back. I didn't do one language. Right, after right. um, but again, it's, it, it was all very fast. And especially I went from speaking two lang- like three languages, what I would say, fluently, English, Japanese and French um, in late 2015 to speaking, I would say, eight languages to certainly two degrees of fluency by late 2016. So in, in one year, I turned that around. Um, and yeah, that was uh that's pretty so.
1: freaking impressive.
2: It was it was to be honest, it was it was kind of incredible. Like it was just everything clicked. It was all those years of hard work trying to figure this out, right. trying to figure out how do we learn languages? Why do we learn this way? And all of a sudden it was just one year of straight execution and straight results. Right. Um and that was great and that's when I made a video I have on my channel um just speaking in all, in all eight languages. Um, it wasn't meant to be sort of a show-off video, so I did it as more of an artistic piece. It's more of a narrative, right. um, which got some criticism because people were like, oh, you're not actually speaking it. You're just try- trying to fake it. I'm like, no, I was trying to create an artistic <laughs> expression. Right. Um, it wasn't about showing off. Right, so. I mean... But, yeah, it really was an incredible process. I think mean,
1: because um, right now, it, it's kind of a weird thing for me. I've been... Keeping up my Russian, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I could speak probably at a B2 level with mistakes. Um, you know, I've been, let's say, dipping. Because um, uh-huh. like, I use Michelle Thomas. So, the courses I have in my house, Egyptian, Arabic, Dutch, French, Italian, Japanese. And, Russian.
0: Uh-huh.
1: and so... So, at the moment, I am like, my brain is between Italian, French, and Turkish. And uh-huh. I would have to say Russian has been the longest language I've um, learned. Um, it uh-huh. finally clicked recently as far as me being able to understand everything. especially, And I found that it's... The better approach for me is not to speak with someone that speaks English. Uh-huh. let them speak only their mother tongue, no English at uh-huh. all, because that way it's forcing me to be able to use the language instead of uh-huh. them diving into English, and then that becomes a distraction for me. The uh-huh. one to translate into English when I actually want to you know even if I do make mistakes, I'm able to understand because I'm in that immersed conversation environment with the person and they don't speak a look. And I actually realized I was proficient in Russian when I could speak with a native Russian that didn't speak a lick of English for two hours straight. Yeah. That's no, great. No English. And I try to make sure that I do that. Even when I'm doing my videos on Facebook, I, mm-hmm. I keep my mind in the headspace of that language and I don't let, like, other languages bleed into each other um, mainly mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I don't want to speak Tarzan French or Tarzan Turkish or Tarzan Italian. I want to be able to speak it well. I mean, I know I'm going to make mistakes mm-hmm. and that's fine. I'm willing to accept that. But I, I yeah. want it to be understood. And I was like, your mm-hmm. pronunciation in this language and that is really, good. well, I was like, because I actually, I learn by ear. So I take everything mm-hmm. in. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, sometimes it's a little bit more difficult because you don't have anything visual to read. So I'll have my, like I have my Braille display on right now, and I'm able to read the words on my Braille display in Braille that's on the screen on my iPad Pro. You know, so mm-hmm. and my display supports seventeen different languages. So it, it
0: well, wow, that's yeah, really So cool. it supports
1: Arabic and Chinese and and Korean and Japanese and Turkish and. The romance languages the the um germanic languages for sure and the, um scandinavian languages so mm-hmm. and a couple of slavic um, polish and russian and it, it supports as well so so i mean as long as the text is written in that language my braille display can read it in that in that braille code so I'll yeah. learn really how to read cool. and write in that regard um however um, I guess my my um, method. I, I wouldn't say I'd get bored easily, but I kind of like to switch between French and Turkish. Um, mm-hmm. like so, I kind of give myself like a year and a half per language, just because I want to really immerse myself, not just in speaking the language, but the culture, the history, so forth. I take that all seriously because I look at it like. I need to know the customs of this, this language mm-hmm. and the culture and the people, how they think. Um, you know, I get all the time, why are you learning this? Why, my mm-hmm. question is, well, why not learn it? Um, you know, Turkey, we do business with Turkey a lot. You know, Turkey's in the headlines a great deal. Um, you know, there are mm-hmm. blind people that live in Turkey. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> So yeah. I said, you know, um, you know, I can learn about the Ottoman Empire. I can learn about, you know, the history of Turkey, and how it came about and so forth. And listen to documentaries and news on... Um, I don't know if you listen to SBS radio out of Australia. I don't know. Uh, there is a podcast, news podcast, and it is in every language.
0: Oh, well, yeah. cool.
1: So I listen to them cool. because their podcasts aren't that long. It's like maybe want to be like 5 minutes, want to be 10, want to be 15, it just depends on the, the length of it. And then I'll listen to like podcast italiano um for Italian and then I'll listen to Radio Rilka in Russian and um listen to other people's, you know, podcasts in certain languages that I'm interested in. Um cuz I'm really big on on podcasts and cuz you can't always find Material, in my case, I cannot find audio material. So because I like the news, I like politics, I like fashion, sports. I go to the internet a lot, and I'm always on the internet looking for stuff in certain languages, talk shows. um, I spent a year Mm -hmm. doing nothing but listening to the Russian TV channel I had and listening to everything on it from 6 o'clock in the morning till midnight every night, seven days a week. Just to have that exposure, Putin's mm-hmm. you know, uh, speeches in particular, I had to pick somebody, so mm-hmm. I picked him because he had a really good voice and he spoke Russian very well. And so, I got a lot of my vocabulary from listening to that type of stuff and, um, you know, speaking constantly, regardless if I mm-hmm. make mistakes or not, speaking to myself. Um, so, um, I am curious, have you been to any of the polyglot conferences, gatherings, Langfest?
2: Um, So I went to, um, I went to um, the conference in Serbia, the polyglot conference (laughs) uh, in Serbia, Uh, that was in 2014. And I was I was heavily involved in um, sort of planning and organizing Langfest in Montreal um, in 2017, mm-hmm. and I was supposed to be a speaker there, um, but in the end, because of my living situation, cool. um, I, I wasn't able to go. Unfortunately, so I'm hoping to go to to conferences in the future. Um, again, it's it's, it's sad because I've been invited to speak at. Um, probably six or seven different events like probably got gathering right. and but i have never been able to do it because until now i wasn't in a i was either not in the right financial situation to to attend or i was on the wrong continent and <laughs> couldn't afford right to go. yeah yeah but i did go to the one in serbia and it was yeah,
1: great i i know like people ask me all the time when are, when am i coming and i'm like i want to get a passport um
0: and oh right! Yeah. realize
1: that here in the states not everybody has a passport but the united states is so big you don't have to mm-hmm. leave it which right. i think is terrible but yes um i mean unless you want to go to jamaica or haiti or you want to go to canada or you want to go to mexico the bahamas you know saint martin saint croix you know jamaica wherever south america Okay, if you go to Europe, Mm -hmm. you go to Asia, you go to Australia, New Zealand, all these places, that's great. But it costs loads of money. Like, people do not understand that. Like, it's just to go from here to Germany. is almost $2,000. And and people don't realize that. Like, it's expensive. It's not not to mention, once you get there, you got to have a place to stay. You got to have food, Mm -hmm. transportation, Mm -hmm. especially if you don't drive. You know it's it's a lot to budget for you know yeah and i i actually had the opportunity to interview texan young um back in october of this year mm-hmm. and about you know like He was like we would love to have you i was like i gotta get my passport first you know because <laughs> i would love to go i mean because montreal is only 10 hours away from here hmm it's like six hours to New York from Ohio, and then it's another eight hours, you know, four and a half mm-hmm. past um, Toronto, which I've had the mm-hmm. lovely pleasure of going to 19 years ago for my senior trip,
0: and I, oh, I actually did
1: have a a French experience, and I I, did, I know more French now than I did back then when I was 22. And, um, mm-hmm. I was trying to get my key to work, you know, how they have the little keys where you, you have to put it through mm-hmm. the little slot and I didn't know I had it the wrong way. And, and I was mm-hmm. my broken French and he understood and helped me. But oh, great. It, that was just something that, you know, I was like, uh, I've always wanted to learn French, always wanted to learn Russian, but Spanish, as you know, because we live in the States is so... Mm-hmm saturated here in the States, you know, they expect you to know it, you know, because of the large Hispanic population. And I was like, well, wait a minute, we got other people in this country. Why, why can't Mm -hmm. we speak whatever language we want to speak? You know, instead Mm -hmm. of pushing just one demographic of people's culture on you know, because we don't even have an official language here in the states. We just speak mm-hmm. English, and people don't mm-hmm. even understand that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we don't have an official language. Mm-hmm. People just mm-hmm. speak English. That's just how it's. I mean, I really want to be honest. We German and French, if that was the case. You know, mm-hmm. because we're the languages yeah. that were here beforehand. So, and Spanish, but you know, I said, I live in a town where there's so many people from all over the world. I had to pick what languages I wanted to know. Because we have a high uh-huh. Middle Eastern concentration. And people from Asia. Uh-huh. And people from parts of Africa that don't speak Arabic, French, and and um, you know, Eastern Europe, in particular, the Ukraine, Serbia, Russia. So I've been able to practice some Russian and some Spanish and some French and There's some people that speak Pennsylvania Dutch. Um, I haven't ran into them yet, but I have ran into like a lot of other people. And it's a very um, interesting uh, group of people because I used to volunteer for a nonprofit organization called Project Learn where people were trying to learn English um, who had immigrated over here um, from wherever they came from. And we had a lot of people from Asia Thailand,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, we have people from Vietnam, Korea, China, uh, and Japan. So I got to speak a little bit of Japanese. What little I know, I, I, I mm-hmm. love saying um, hi, doki doki, ice cream, old tabimas. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. so, um, even though I know I don't I don't eat ice cream every day, <laughs> but, right? But that you know. Someone said, you want to learn Japanese? I'm like, why not? Japanese, it it sounds really interesting. Like, Ollie was saying it was much more easier to speak it than it was to, like, read it and write it. But Mm -hmm. it was like, I I didn't have a choice. I had to to know it because I was living there and I needed to be able to speak with people who didn't speak English. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, and his Japanese is very good and so is his Cantonese. Um, I mean, I was Mm -hmm. really impressed, Um, even though we didn't have a conversation in Japanese. I haven't gotten that far yet, Um, but (laughs) I do plan on studying it in 2021. Um, I like to take my time with my languages and not rush it at all. And um, if you had seven tips to give to language learners out there who are starting their first language or their 51st language um what would those tips be in?
2: seven um let's see <laughs> um i mean the first thing is i uh, let's see so i would say do not worry about how talented or naturally able you are because and again I'm not saying those things are not factors or not important but I don't think it's productive to worry about them Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's destructive (laughs) to Mm -hmm. worry so that's the first tip don't worry about how talented or or, or able you are Um, focus on working hard and enjoying the journey um the second tip i think would be be flexible and there's many ways that that can manifest but don't look at the people who inspire you it could be ollie like you mentioned it could be richard it could be anyone don't look at them as having the one true method right as having the one right way to learn languages, um, look at that as purely what it is. It's inspiration, they're ideas, it's insight. But it doesn't mean that the way I learn languages is the only way, Uh, it just means that's one way. And personally, I try to also introduce a lot of other ways. Like I try to talk about things that I don't do personally, but I know can be effective. So. It just means if you look at the way I learn languages, you try it out and it's not fun, it's not working, then be flexible and change. Um, Because I see a lot of people that have tried, uh, like one example is Luca Lamparello's Bidirectional Translation. I haven't tried it
1: yet.
2: Yeah, so um, I've met a lot of people who who tried that method um, and who it just really didn't feel natural for. It didn't feel good. But he's a very, he's an amazing polyglot, right? He's a very successful language learner. And so a lot of those people sort of really stuck with it um, ground through it um, and ultimately gave up. Um, but because they saw him as having like the one true method, um, they were inflexible, right? And that's just one example. I am i know there's also been a lot of people who have successfully used that method. So I'm not bashing the method. I right. just want really strong example.
1: Right, that's just like the... Um... So, the goat list method, a lot of people have tried that as well. Yeah,
2: exactly. So point being, you find a method, you find someone who inspires you, try, try it their way, but be flexible. And if it doesn't work for you, that's okay. Right. You, it, it's still worthwhile, but don't be stubborn and, and keep doing things that you don't like. So this, I guess to summarize that, be flexible and do things that you love. Right. Um, third tip. I would say certainly don't be afraid to try new things. Uh, The backstory there is I did not enjoy reading growing up. It's not something I enjoyed Mm -hmm. at all. Um, I tried reading in French um, because I saw it as a great tool for learning. And now I love reading. Now reading is one of the greatest joys in my life. Um, I would never have discovered that if I was scared to try something new that I don't usually like to do. Um, my fourth tip is a little bit controversial I feel like it shouldn't be Mm -hmm. but I think it seems to be a little controversial in the polyglot space because everybody always talks about do what you love, do what you love, do what you enjoy which is valuable but I personally think that like anything in life when you want to be really good at something sometimes you also have to make a few sacrifices You know, sometimes you do actually have to do stuff that isn't the most fun I, I personally see language learning the same way. I think, by and large, you totally do things you enjoy. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that should be confused with, like, never do anything that's hard or challenging, or you know, never do anything that's not the most fun. For me, I do think that it's also important to that if you really want to have good results and you want to, you know, if you want to speak really well and have an amazing accent, well, you might have to do a few things that aren't super Sorry. fun. Like, maybe you got to do some shadowing. Maybe shadowing is not as fun as watching a drama. But it's super useful (laughs) if you want to have a great accent.
1: Right, I try to do that with Italian. Like, if I listen to a short podcast or something, I'll try to do it at the same time. Sometimes some of the words come out, sometimes they don't. But, hey, I'm giving it a shot. Mm.
2: Yeah, exactly. So the reason why I say it's a bit controversial is just because, like, you know, Steve Kaufman, who I love and think is, he's been an amazing inspiration to me personally. Um, but he, he's a very big, um, do what you love and that's it kind of kind of thing. Um, and I think that what that's created, it's almost like a bit of, I'm not sure if entitlement is the right word, but there are a lot of people that when I, when I talk about a method of you know improving your pronunciation or something that requires kind of some hard work i get a lot of comments where it's like i want to, like that's not fun i'm not going to do that like it's almost like people feel entitled that they should they should be able to um learn anything they want by just doing things that are super pleasurable and enjoyable and again i think that sometimes that leads to disappointment um but... and so i think it's it's important to know that Sometimes, you know, do stuff you Mm -hmm. love and and you should enjoy it, but sometimes it also requires some hard work and it isn't always the most fun thing at that moment. Um, I'm not sure if that was tip four or five. (laughs) Okay. I'll try to be faster. Tip five, um, use your mouth Um, if if speaking is the goal. Of course, if your goal is only to read, then that's totally respectable. Um, but I see a lot of people that are confused about why speaking is difficult or why pronunciation is difficult. But when I observe them study and learn, they never use their mouth. They never open their mouth. So they'll, you know, like, um, you know, imagine learning Mandarin Chinese, that's what I'm learning right now. I am, like, imagine if I tried to learn Mandarin without speaking out loud, you know, without opening my mouth. I just learned a bunch of words and phrases in a textbook whatever actually well when i go to speak mandarin to someone of course i'm going to be terrible um it requires a constant constant repetition like repeating out loud opening your mouth training the muscles in your in your mouth and face to make those sounds and i think that people who are always repeating right always um copying those people speak really well right Um, it's not exclusive, but I do find a lot of people that tell me they have difficulty, um, speaking. That's one common factor when I watch them learn is that they don't really open their mouth a lot. Um, tip number six, um, I think is to really try not to be in a rush. Um, now of course that, that's also depends if you have to learn, like I had to learn Dutch ASAP because I was moving to the Netherlands and had a job interview in two months. Right, that <laughs> so makes like, sense. If that's, your, if that's your situation, then yeah, be in a rush. Right, um, but about three hours If in. you're learning language, <laughs> yeah, if you're learning language as, for pleasure or even if you're learning language, like you do need it, um, but there's no life threatening uh, sense of urgency, then I, it's, it's really such a beautiful journey. It really is so pleasant. And so enjoyable. And language learning has enriched my life in ways I could never have imagined. And sometimes I literally almost wish I was, like, back to being a beginner in Italian. <laughs> you right. know, like, like oh, my God, it was so nice learning Italian. I loved it. Um oh, I
1: love Italian. I it's lo- a beautiful language.
2: Yeah. And, and by the way, I love speaking it as an advanced speaker. But the point is that sometimes I almost... I almost miss those early days, you know, so so it's a bit cliche, but really do try to just trust the process and enjoy the journey and don't be in a rush to get to the next stage right. uh, all the time. Was that number yes. six?
0: <laughs> all right. Number
2: seven. Let's see. Um, I, I was number seven. I have to, you know, since my book is all about how to maintain languages um, and that's a big thing I care about, I would say do not overlook the importance of maintaining the language you're learning now or Mm -hmm. or the languages that you have learned Mm -hmm. and so people often they they don't think about maintenance until they're already needing to maintain a language but to be honest it's very important to think about it right at the start if you can because there are many things you can do throughout the learning process that will make it easier to maintain that language later. Mm -hmm. So, if you can have the foresight and sort of the not the the preparation to think about that upfront and to actually structure your learning, structure your resources in a way that will make it easy to maintain that language later, you're going to be more successful. Um, if you wait until the last minute and you you never think about it until it's too, until you already desperately need to maintain right. the language, or until you have seven languages you've studied and they're all a two now because you can't you haven't maintained any of them um it's never too right. late but i promise it will be very very valuable to think about that as soon as possible
1: yeah i i actually have to agree with that because i didn't realize i was fluent in speaking spanish until i had a conversation 11 months ago with a colombian guy on whatsapp okay? and he was like do you realize you're fluent and my response was, I thought I sucked. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, you know, because I, I didn't realize that, you know, just me singing to my favorite artist in Spanish was making me fluent. I really didn't. And, um, you know, I just never, like, had a real 100% conversation with anybody because I just never spoke it because it was my love-hate relationship language. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I want to speak French or Italian or I wanted to speak Russian. Not so much mm-hmm. Spanish. So, as a result, he was like, yeah, you're fluent. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> did, I mean, it gave me the motivation to speak it regardless of past experiences. Um, but I have said to people, I, I don't really feel comfortable speaking Spanish all like that um can we, can we speak mm-hmm. something else that i feel more comfortable speaking even though mm-hmm. i say that and then two seconds later something comes out in spanish <laughs> yeah oh, like really? <laughs> i'm like okay you know but i mean i don't regret it because it set me up for all the other languages that i've learned so far um i have mm-hmm. a question do you um I know that Richard Simcott has said this on one on one occasion, um, that people who, you know, even if you take a crack at learning something, unless say you only learn it to like an A1, A2, you know, people think that you're supposed to be at a C2 in all your languages, or you're supposed to have like certifications in every single language that you are mm-hmm. proficient in, you know, whether it's speaking, writing, understanding, reading. And, um, I was just curious, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like, as far as.
2: In terms of like, not, not always having the expectation that you have to speak every, speak a language extremely right. well. and right. every language. Yeah. I, again, I think that that's, <clears throat> you know, when I mentioned earlier my views um on my, for myself right. uh, in terms of like, I, when I like, I have goals for different languages and things I want to, there are ways I want to use that language as a communicative mm-hmm. tool. And that doesn't have to be the same for every language. Um, and so for me, you know, uh, Hindi is a language that I spoke a fair amount of at, at mm-hmm. one point, um, but I didn't speak Hindi you know, extremely well. And that was okay because I, I never necessarily wanted to maybe one day I will, but at that time, my reason for speaking Hindi was that there was this Indian restaurant that I loved to go to and the people were so good to me and so kind. And I just really wanted to make the effort to be able to order my food in, in, in their language. Right. I wanted to be able to have a little bit of chit chat. So I learned enough Hindi to order my food, but then it became this really fun thing. And then they ended up teaching me a new phrase every time I went. and. Next thing you know, I was—I uh, there was my highest point. I went in there and I talked for like five straight minutes with them. Oh, that's they, awesome! It, it was not a, a very coherent conversation, you know. Right. It was, "How are you today?" "Oh, I'm I'm well. I'm a little tired. How are you?" It was going beyond just "How are you?" "I'm good." It was sort of "I'm well, but I'm a bit tired because this." Right. "How about you?" So it wasn't a super intellectual conversation, but it was perfectly fine it was exactly what i wanted for my hindi and nobody could tell me well whatever like you're a fraud you don't speak hindi first of all i never said i speak (laughs) hindi publicly um most people don't even know that i learned any most of my viewers have no clue i ever spoke any hindi wow (laughs) but even if they did yeah i'm actually very private i don't necessarily share every single i've learned a lot uh in a lot of languages that I don't necessarily speak um, proficiently today and so I don't always talk about right. them but um, yeah the point being even if people knew that I was learning Hindi I wouldn't let anyone tell me that you know it wasn't worthwhile just because I didn't have a C2 or a right. C1 so I think that everybody like, the most important thing is what do you want right. to do with the language right
1: because um, right. I, I, I yeah. came to the be result decision the final decision for myself that okay there are certain languages I want to be at a B1 because at least I know if I'm at a B1 I'm not going to forget it you uh-huh. know, I look at that point or if I'm at an A2 I'm not going to forget it because I have such a great memory I, I put everything to memory anyway so if I'm really passionate about it I'm not going to forget it you know uh-huh. plain and simple um you know I'm learning Turkish. Everybody's like, really? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I fell in love with the word "mirhaba." You know? <laughs> I was like, yeah. really? <laughs> uh, you know, and people are like, how the heck do you, you, I mean, I actually spoke a little bit and someone had came on, one of my uh, Facebook live. It was like, merhaba. I was like, merhaba, nusa sasinus. And then they were like, you know, I said, how are you? And then they were like, they said they were fine. And mm-hmm. then they asked me and I was like, um... Salim, which means thank you on time, mm-hmm. but thank you formal, because to shake to lot is um, informal, you know. So and then it was like like people are like, well, how did you remember it to shake to lot? And I was like, the word shake, like a salt and pepper shake, you know. So and mm-hmm. I mean, like, you'd be surprised how many people, you know, come out the woodwork once you say you want to learn their language or you're interested in their. I mean. I'm a part of so many communities on Facebook, language-wise. You name the language, I'm probably a part of it. Mm -hmm. And I haven't even studied their languages. I just, you know. But, I mean, 3,430-something people later, you know, um, it it says a lot. And I kind of feel like with me personally, you know, I have a goal for each language. You know, yes, do I want to be at A B2 Mm -hmm. in certain languages like Arabic, French, and Russian, yes. Japanese, don't want to be like at a B1, just speaking-wise, yeah. Okay, don't want to be at a B1 in Turkish and Italian, sure. You know, I mean, my whole Mm -hmm. goal is I like food, fashion, politics, you know, stuff like that, music. So, a lot of Mm -hmm. times, I want to be able to cook. And make a recipe from that particular country in that particular language, you know. Because I like to cook, and so, I mean, if you've seen my pictures of food and videos, and, you know, mm-hmm. I love to cook, and so, I mean, I taught myself how to make borscht, you know, and and I learned mm-hmm. how to make Olivier salad in Russian, you know, and took pictures of it, and you know, people love my cooking, so I. Choose goals where, okay, this is why I'm learning these languages because I like food. I like the fashion. I like Italian Vogue and French Vogue because I love clothes. So, you know, mm-hmm. I like sports. So I like my basketball. So, okay, fine. And I like movies. So, I want to be able to watch Italian cinema and French cinema and Russian cinema. And I want to watch Japanese horror movies. So, this is why I'm learning this. And, you know, so, I mean, I have those goals. But then you have the people who are, well, Do you are you certified yet? Well, Mm -hmm. why do I need to be certified? You know, if my Mm -hmm. language skills are that good to an employer, why do I need to indicate that this is how well I speak? They can just pull somebody in and determine how well I speak by me having a conversation. You know? Yeah. So I'm just curious. Did you ever have to, did you ever take any of those certifications? Or did you just...
2: So in Japanese I um I took the sort of the N1 exam which is like the equivalent of the C2 mm-hmm. um and I passed every section except the reading section I didn't quite make it and um and that was the only certification I I took um I might do it one day um but if I do it it's really more of just a personal goal or it like a fun thing for me to try to achieve um it's not something I feel is necessary for myself uh, I've worked and I've done a lot of things professionally that involve languages right. um and not having those certifications never prevented right them. right um
1: yeah because I know I'm going to be taking so, my oral exam for Russian soon and- yeah
2: and I think it's cool like I um you know if people want to like again I'm I, I really think I might do it one day um but uh um, just to
1: have it on my C V. So they'd be like, okay, well, you
2: know Yeah. I think there's nothing wrong with resume or C V right, building. Right. You know. Uh, especially, you know, anything that helps professionally is fine. I um but again, it should be for it should be for a purpose. It shouldn't right. be I don't think people should um well, I don't know. I mean I was gonna maybe I was gonna say maybe like people shouldn't take a B two just because they feel they have to to prove to people, um, like to prove to their friends and family and other polyglot people um, that they speak it. But then again, you know, if, if they feel it's important to them and if it's a milestone, right. then that's yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But I, I do think it, it should be a reason. It should be a milestone. It shouldn't just be because people feel like they have I to. I actually um, am doing
1: it because I've been studying Russian independently by myself with no teacher, no tutor, no nothing. Just my sure will and determination. Um, because I want to see where I'm at, you know, Mm -hmm. I I mean, okay, evidently, if I can carry on a conversation for two hours in Russian, that must mean I'm at a pretty high level. Most people people can't do that. And I can do the same thing in Spanish. Now, I will ask, when you were studying Spanish and Portuguese and all these languages, when you had a conversation longer than 30 minutes, did you experience having headaches afterwards?
2: Did I experience what? Sorry, oh, I did not. Um, I don't think I did, but I think that I, you know, I've been pushing my brain like so crazily hard for so many years now. Um, I think that, um, I don't know, I it's almost like at this point, I never, I don't reach that like saturation point anymore. Um, I'm not sure that's related. To, but but I, I certainly did have times where I felt exhausted Like I, I remember being in Japan working as a barista mm-hmm. where you have to speak a very special type of Japanese mm-hmm. that is not spoken in everyday life um, and I remember having to count I mean think about it in English in, in the US and in the UK and in many European countries money is 1 to 20 right. <laughs> you have a $1 bill or a $20 bill usually yeah, I mean, in Japanese it could be 10,000 yen. You could have a 10,000 yen note ha- handed to you. And all of a sudden I'm having to say things like, "All right, thank you. It's going to be 346 <laughs> yen. Okay, you're uh, thank you for your 10,000 yen bill. Your change is going to be 9,630." Like that that was really difficult to do all in my Oh head. my god. I think I'm
1: yeah. going to pass
2: out. Uh, yeah, it's tr- it's tough because in Japan, um when you work in the service mm. industry, you're always required to tell them exactly how much it is to repeat how much they're giving you and to tell them how much their change is verbally. So yeah, I did feel pretty darn exhausted (laughs) doing
0: that.
1: I I remember Um, when I, I, last year, it'll be a year since this happened. And see, I didn't realize how much Spanish I had, I had acquired in my brain in like 17 years. This chick Mm -hmm. was living in Mexico with her boyfriend. So I thought she wanted help with English. Oh, no. Mamacita wanted help with El Espanol. Now, I'm not certified Mm -hmm. in El Espanol. I took El Espanol in university like eons ago in my early 20s. I told her this. My vocabulary was limited, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. What happened to me? I wound up having to speak Spanish for two hours. There were words mm-hmm. that I didn't remember, but I compensated for other words with other words. And I realized I was fluent because time that you can compensate other words for words you don't know, you you pretty much know what you're doing. I mean, I might have to break out like maybe four times the entire time. But as soon as I was done with her, my head was throbbing for two hours because I was pushing my brain to the max to keep going mm-hmm. and I mean someone called me like 10 minutes after that call and I was like I can't talk to you right now can we talk it took me <laughs> two hours for my brain to recuperate from that conversation and mm-hmm. I, I had never had that massive of a headache since having epilepsy as a child over 20 something years ago I I mean it, wow. it was, it was yeah. that bad and someone I remember Ollie saying he had that issue when he had to push himself when he was speaking Spanish and Brazilian Portuguese, you know he was flipping back and forth, you know, so he wouldn't forget them and uh-huh. he said he was having that issue where he you know when you have to push yourself that hard, you know you're uh-huh. you're you're breaking a, a threshold somewhere or that wall that language plateau wall when you can actually start you know, using other words to compensate for other words that you may have not remembered at the time. and and But when I mm-hmm. speak Russian, or I speak French, or Italian, I don't have that problem. Right. So, yeah. I'm, someone said, well, maybe it's just because you had such a negative experience with Spanish.
0: <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. But, I
1: mean, it just shows that, you know, I mean, and I, I, I got out of my own comfort zone to do that, you know? And literally like it took me like two hours to get over the headache. Like even aspirin wasn't working. That's how bad it was. I had to shut I had mm-hmm. to shut everything down and turn on lights and block out windows. It, it was that bad. And someone's like, uh, you might not want to do that again. I'm like, I'm never doing that again. Well. I mean, that's how bad it was. And um Yeah, it's
0: yeah. Bad.
1: And I I told someone, I said I understand why people ask you after two hours if you're speaking a language that's not your mother tongue. Yes. You will come to have some headaches because you're forcing your brain to think in a different way than what you're accustomed to on a daily basis. And Jan Vantaar said this too when he was hanging out with Richard Simcott one time. They had spoke so many languages all day that by the time he was done, his head was throbbing. So, mm-hmm. I, and, and he speaks like 11 languages. He's learning Indonesian right now. So mm, yeah. I said to myself, like, they're normal people. <laughs> they, they And people think, I mean, I don't know about you, but have you actually experienced that yet? You know, where people are, you know, um, they think that you're like some language god because you know yeah. all these. Like, they don't assume that oh well it probably took him eons to learn this you know like there's yeah. some pill to take okay this ain't the matrix
0: you're not stepping in <laughs> yeah. there
1: and starting to learn 50 lang- speak 50 languages right even richard simp got to tell you that like and he speaks tons of languages to different degrees so, mm-hmm. that, yeah I mean, I'm just curious, like have you had that even with your students?
2: yeah, like I get that um a lot, like I um where you know people often chalk things up to talent, and i I get it, um, I don't understand why I think it's it's almost like I wouldn't say it's like I appreciate it, you know, I appreciate the um the compliment i suppose but i'm one there, there's the the first thing is that you know i just try to tell people like you said it it would be really difficult to even quantify the the amount of work that's gone into this
0: right.
2: i mean truly i mean it's that's i didn't do anything else with my life for a while i mean it was just nuts um i often if, if people say i want to learn languages the exact way you did it i'm like trust me i, I don't think you do um it was hard and it was a lot of right. work and um, and um I think the only reason why I was able to do what I did in such a short period of time is I was alone all the time right. like if you have a regular well-structured social life then you couldn't do what I did now anybody can still learn those languages and still get to the same place but the point is that it was an enormous amount of work that went in um and a lot of sacrifice right. so it's that's the first thing and second of all I, I know people don't mean it in a bad way but it's almost like a little bit insulting um if people chalk up your abilities to just talent right um just because it kind of discounts the hard work right. um it's almost like saying well y- you know you speak those languages or any other skill uh because you're talented not because you worked extremely hard and that's why I'm happy that I have this story that I have, right. where I was terrible at languages, where everybody thought I was not clever. I would say people even thought I was dumb um, when I was a kid, um, because at least no one can tell me that you're just talented and you always have been. Because no, most my, I was an adult before I realized, oh, maybe I'm not <laughs> stupid. Maybe I'm not just unintelligent.
1: Right. I mean, and I definitely can relate to that because I coming from theater and film, you know, when you're someone that's more language wise, you know, historic, you know, you like history, you like travel, you like food, culture, other people, you're not like the biggest Mm -hmm. computer geek, you know, like, I most definitely am not I, I'm lucky to be able to have a podcast show. I mean, And Mm -hmm. and this was a a dream of mine was to have my own podcast to tell language learning journeys of people not, you know, and to kind of subsequently fuse my own story into the mix to let people know, okay, I might be visually impaired. I might have limited vision, people vision, but Mm -hmm. I go through the same struggles, you know, I mean, I think my struggle more so is... Finding material, you know, that's accessible for me personally. You know, now that I've narrowed my, you know, materials down to Mango languages, colloquial, um, Michelle Thomas, uh, memorize, tune in radio, and you know, YouTube and whatever else I decide to. Make. It's all audio based. So,
0: uh-huh.
1: You know, people ask me all the time. I get the same thing. Oh, well, you're talented. You, you're you good at that. I wouldn't be able to... Well, why are you knocking yourself? You never tried it. Why don't you try it mm-hmm. and see what happens? You know, you if you're going to knock yourself before you even get started, how do you know if you're going to be good at it or not? You you don't know because you haven't tried. You know, but I mean, they, yeah. they, like Ollie and Lydia Mahova of um, com said, in one of his recent podcasts um recently actually came out yesterday um that you know people think that polyglots are like geniuses and that it came easy for us and that they don't see the work that's being put behind it you know the hours mm-hmm. of study and you know um you know the sacrifice that you have to that the expense if you decide to use certain courses or whatever. I've never used the Teach Yourself course. I've never used Mail, except the digital version for Russian on um, Memorize. But mm-hmm. I've never like gotten a digital book and, and used it from Oscemail. I don't have two hundred dollars. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Oscemail is expensive mm-hmm. if you buy it on Amazon. Now, if you buy it from the manufacturer in French. It might cost you under a hundred bucks, but I can't read the book. So what's the point of me buying a paper book if I can't read? So Mm -hmm. everything has to be digital for me, audio for me, you know, and I have to find something that really, you know, gets me fuel to be able to be motivated to want to keep using the same method or I mean, I went out of my comfort zone and used mango. And, mm-hmm. Well, at the end of this year. And and it actually, I actually like it. So, you know, I'm using it for my Italian and my French and my Turkish. Right now I'm doing Turkish. And I'm using my Michelle Thomas and whatever else. And I'm doing a lot of speaking. So, I mean, because that's my aim. I want to speak. So, you know... When people say, Well, you're talented, well that's great. Well how can you flip from one language to another a practice? It took a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean you have to be at a certain level in each each language in order not for them to bleed inside of each other. Um uh, you know. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, if you really want to do this, just go to your library and find something that you enjoy, try it out, see what happens. You know, that's all you mm-hmm. can do you know, and I mean, I got satisfaction from the fact that, you know, people are emailing me and saying, I like your podcast shows, or, you know, I'd I like the way that you teach, because I believe that language learning is, is an individual thing. So you have to be able to learn on your own, to some extent, you, a person can't teach you something you have to want to learn it you can give Uh people the tools from which you have learned your own languages like whatever methodology you want to create in order to be able to present the information to the student however Uh they have to want to learn it they can't just Uh expect like and i have plenty of students that do this now can you teach me english No, I can't Uh teach you English. You can teach yourself English. Okay, so I ask them a question. I ask them a series of questions. One, why are you learning this language? Why do you want to learn it? And then i give them a list. Family, work, school, hobby, you know, what is it you want? You want to be able to read and write? You want to be able to speak it really well, you know, or comfortably? You know, you want to be able to have conversations in English. You want to be able to understand people when they're talking to you. You know, I mean, there are people that have been studying English for four and five, six, seven, eight years and they still don't understand spoken English from another human being. And, Uh like, I said, okay, you need to pick one form of English. Do you want to learn the Queen's English or do you want to learn American English? Uh Because learning both is suicide you got to uh-huh. you're talking to someone that's from the united states and if you're from the united states as you know the united states is big it has different accents you know different dialects of english you're from the south so you got southern drawl and you know it depends on what part of you know the south you're from kentucky tennessee georgia Al- alabama mississippi arkansas texas you know it just depends uh-huh you from the Midwest, you from the West Coast. It just depends. You know, people are like, you sound like you're from California. I lived in California for three years, but I'm not California. You know, I'm from Ohio, but I don't sound like I'm from the Midwest because, you know, yeah. it's, that's just me. But I'm very, you know, well-read, educated. I, I speak with people that have similar interests I don't use a lot of slang, so forth and so on. So, I mean, there's a big difference. I actually had someone ask me, can I teach them Ebonics? And I said, (laughs) no. I don't speak Ebonics. (laughs) I might be black, but I'm, no. I'm sorry, they're (laughs) happening. Well, first of all, I was like, do you understand? You cannot use that in the middle of a job interview. You know, Uh so... You can't be like, what's up, yo, what's the business? Well, no, hello, sir, <laughs> it's a pleasure to meet you. My name is blah, blah, blah. And they, mm-hmm. it's almost like you ask them, well, what do you like to do? What did you do last week? Tell me what you did last week. From the time we you hung up for me to now. And I used myself as a model, what I did. So they, they they antiquated this to be, oh, well, you're telling me about your hobbies and yourself. Um, mm-hmm. I'm telling you what I did last week. Okay, so I practiced my languages. I went grocery shopping for Thanksgiving. I cooked my Thanksgiving meal, enjoyed my... This is all the things I did. Well, yeah. they didn't understand. They thought it was me telling them my hobbies. This isn't my hobby. This mm-hmm. is my daily life. You know, so, and so they was like, well, I don't do a lot of reading. I read grammar books. Um, like, they wanted me to break down English grammar to them. And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> I don't want to break down. Yeah. I mean, because you're not going to have a conversation about English grammar. You're going to have a conversation about whatever it was you did at this particular point in time. You need to know how to speak to people. You have to speak. And I think a lot, and a lot of them are from Russia. I'm not going to lie. Some of them are from Ukraine. And some of them, they don't have the people to speak English with. You know, because it's Mm -hmm. not important. It's not, well, it's important to an extent. But not as important as you and I would see it. You know, I asked, they didn't know what a short-term goal versus a long-term goal was. It was, it was almost like you had to start at the beginning. And they mm-hmm. said they had been studying for four years. Then this one person said they've been studying all their life, and they're still having difficulties. And I, I said, if you've mm-hmm. been studying academically all your life, you might be proficient with your reading and writing like a lot of Chinese people or a lot of Asian people are. Speaking is another story. Because mm-hmm. if you don't have to speak English in, in mainland China, you're not going to.
0: You're going right. to speak
1: Cantonese in Hong Kong and you're going to speak Mandarin. And then you've got subsequent dialects after that. So I can understand why they would speak Russian outside of Moscow and Sochi and St. Petersburg because they don't need to speak English. okay are they planning on going anywhere where they need to you know so that's that's just something that i have found myself too where i mean i get that in the building that i live in with you know and i'm surrounded by a bunch of um you know just some disabled and then a lot of them's like um, senior citizens and they're you know they have very interesting views on you know certain languages and certain people and i said well wait a minute do you know these people you know, mm-hmm. when I when I meet someone or I learn someone's language, I wanna make friends with people in that from that country because I feel that learning languages for me is like bridging the communication gap between joining nations. We're all a global society and a global unit and a global family. And so therefore, in order to be able to communicate with our global brothers and sisters from around the world, we need to be able to say hello, how are you? How was your day? Blah blah and whatever. And ninety percent of the time when you are speaking even a little bit of that person's language, for which they don't think that you're going to speak, or know how to speak it anyway, um, they're very surprised, they're very warm and and welcoming in regards to you learning their language. Now when you get to the point where you're just as proficient in the language as they are. Then it starts to change a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Vladimir Scoltetti was saying the same thing. He was like, I've been studying Chinese for 11, going on 12 years, and when you get to a certain point in the language learning process where you start speaking just as well as the native speaker, if not better, then their attitude changes. And yeah. I, I don't know if you've experienced that. Mm-hmm.
0: Like, um, your
1: own... With, with your own language journey like as yeah, far as like I mean, when you were living in Japan or you were living elsewhere and you had to speak the language to a nice degree like did you find people treated you totally different because you could hold your own in the language
2: yeah definitely i mean especially living in japan i was definitely treated very differently than um than most other westerners for example mm-hmm. Um, just because there's definitely not an expectation that you're going to speak the language. Um, and if you do, there's also not the expectation, expectation of speak it, speak it well. So certainly being able to um, communicate very well, but also be- being able to demonstrate a deep understanding of the people mm-hmm. and being able to be relatable um, was certainly the thing that made the biggest difference. And so I found that people were immediately excited to open up and to share things Mm -hmm. um and Japanese people are kind of known for being a little closed um and not being so open um to like especially especially to Westerners um but I found that being able to make them feel like I cared like I understood them Mm -hmm. like um they were so open and so excited to to communicate and to share and to exchange, and had a great experience. I, I don't think that would have been possible without the the language ability,
1: right? Because I I, I kind of noticed that when I started learning Russian. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. Hold on yes. Um, yes. I have a I have a four legged Labrador Retriever guide dog over here. Oh no
0: problem.
2: The- <laughs> just so you know i'll um i'll need to go oh, in, a, in a couple okay. minutes um
1: so to close this <laughs> mm-hmm. thank you for coming on you're welcome i i no appreciate problem.
2: this um and i appreciate you having me oh on.
1: you're welcome oh i have one question to ask you because i have a youtube page but i really haven't done anything with it and i have planned on like devoting my youtube page to like you know my podcast pretty much like making videos about you know what i talk about on my podcast Mm -hmm. um since you've been on for a while i mean i've been on youtube for e e eons but i just never really used it like in a professional manner like you have any any Mm -hmm. advice um
2: I think my advice for coming onto YouTube, do you, do you mean just general advice for starting a YouTube channel? Or, right, I mean,
1: I, I have um, a YouTube page. I just haven't really done anything with it. Yeah,
2: I think um, YouTube's a tricky place for me. Um, it's funny because my I'm always a little bit perplexed because I, I often, you know, my channel, it's now, uh, I just finally passed 2,500 subscribers. So it's kind of like, I've been on YouTube for a long time. Right and it's funny because my channel um has grown very slowly but it's it's been very steady i'm super grateful for the subscribers i have um but it's, it it is funny because i find that my um my channel seems to grow very it, it, i i see other people who somehow have like 10,000 or 20 or 50 or 100,000 um and sometimes it's interesting because in some cases it's obvious like these people are producing amazing content with amazing equipment and but then in some cases it's not necessarily true so youtube is a funny place because sometimes you'll see someone producing you know maybe lower quality videos than you and less frequently and somehow they seem to <laughs> they have a higher subscriber or view count so i think one piece of advice for youtube is not to try to to understand it completely. There's some things about YouTube that just seem to involve a bit of luck. So maybe you make the, r- the right video at the right time. Right. Um, very often the video you put the least effort into is the one that gets the most views. It's just really funny how that works. Right. Um, so what I would say is just focus on consistency. Like if you decide you're gonna make a channel, uh, if you can be consistent, that seems to yield results. Right. Um, if you can be just as you are, you know, authentic with your audience right. um, and be responsive and invite them to to give you feedback and engage with you, I think you'll be successful. Yeah,
1: because I know right now um, I, I haven't been on as far as my podcast for very long. And right now I have like 1.5K listeners, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, I said my goal by the end of this month is to try to get to 2K, you know, and I've only been out since May 2nd. I mean, I took a long break because of the summer, mm-hmm. but I started doing interviews like July
2: 19th. Yeah, now you're doing, I think you've, it seems like you've grown very quickly. Right,
1: and because I had asked Ollie that question since he has this, you know, podcast. It was like, mm-hmm. I started off really slow. You just got to keep going. And I, you know, I mean, there's certain people I'm trying to get, like Luca, and because um, I would love to pick his brain especially about his mm-hmm. transliteration method. I would love to try it with Rail and see how that works. Mm-hmm. Like whatever language. It, but I I, I want to be more monolingual when it comes down to that particular language. So find the text and then the definition in that language instead of in English because mm-hmm. then my brain will be able to, you know, take in only that language and not translate in my head yeah Yeah. but thank you
2: no problem thank you as well it's been a pleasure talking to you
1: we have to do this again probably at my 100th episode yeah that'd be great okay have a good (laughs) christmas and a happy new year
2: thank you you have a wonderful christmas too and let's look forward to a new year of
0: successful language oh
1: yes i can't (laughs) wait okay
0: bye okay bye chanel